0: We want to welcome everyone to this, the 10th in our series on the study of the book of Revelation. And we're actually, this is our last study of the the seven churches. And tonight we'll be looking at the church at Laodicea. Uh, That's in Revelation chapter number three, verse number 14 is where we'll begin our reading tonight. And it says, and unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans, write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So again, right off the bat, he's following the same format, pretty much the same format he's followed for all seven churches, in that he, he first identifies who he's writing this letter to, or who he's, he's directing John to write this letter to, and this message is going to the angel of the church at Laodicea. As we, as we talked about in the past, the, the angel is the, um, uh, not talking about a heavenly host here, it's talking about an earthly messenger, because that word angel uh, literally translates into messenger. And so it's a message that's coming from God, and he's giving it to the messenger of the church, and that messenger of the church is the pastor of the church, sometimes referred to as stars, uh, and oftentimes referred to as angels in the Bible. Uh, again, not to be confused with a heavenly angel, uh, such as the angel of the Lord or something of that nature, which is a messenger that comes directly from the throne room of God. But this is a messenger. The past, one of the pastor's jobs is to be a messenger. In other words, to take what God has given him, to take what Jesus Christ has given him, and relay that to the church so that's what's happening here he's, he's sending this to the the angel the fact that he's using that term that word messenger that that term of angel implies that this isn't supposed to stay with him this isn't something he's supposed to keep he's receiving this in his capacity as messenger so he's supposed to take this and he's supposed to, to send this to the church or or tell this to the people of his church and we'll see as as we have seen in many of the other churches, that this isn't just for the church either. This is actually to go much bigger, including what we're doing today uh, and sharing this with each other. We see the church at Laodicea was a. Um, to give you a little background, this is a picture of it behind me. There's some of the ruins of the city, but it was a wealthy city. It was a city that was known for its uh, medical community. Uh, in particular, they they were known for their eye salves um, that were legendary. Uh, they were also known for their uh, clothing, their textile businesses. And it was a very wealthy city. And this was a wealthy church that was sitting in this wealthy city. And it, there's a lot of correlations between this church and the modern church of America today and the fact that that this this community had been blessed by God. The church has been blessed by God to the point that they have become a lukewarm church. Um, they've taken their eyes off of the need for God and they they've become somewhat lukewarm but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves in that uh, next we see who not just who is receiving it but who is sending it Jesus uses a term here a couple terms here that he hasn't used so far and one of those is he refers to himself as being the amen um, which isn't a term we normally use to describe a person it's usually a term that's that's uh, uh, used we use that to close a prayer uh, we close a prayer or if somebody, um says something and we want to affirm what they're saying we'll say amen because the literal very literal definition of amen means so be it and so when we when we pray and we we say everything we want to say to god then at the end you know we sometimes use that as a closing almost almost laziness to be honest with you but it literally means so be it so other words everything we said we're affirming that we want that to happen and if somebody says something and it's a um a truthful statement um, and we want to emphasize that truthful statement then we will again say amen meaning so be it literally jesus christ is calling himself here the amen In other words he is the be it of the so be it um and, and it's a term that's not usually used for a person uh but it is an appropriate term for him he is the be all of of the am the amen he also uses the term faithful and true witness and this is he's used similar to this before because he is literally the most perfect and most truthful witness that has ever been. Everything he says is perfectly true. Everything he says is perfectly honest. Um, Anytime I I hear about a a faithful and true witness, my mind always drifts to a courtroom setting and in a courtroom setting, you know, they make you put put the hand on the Bible. I guess they don't do that a lot anymore. I think they've gotten away from the hand on the Bible kind of thing, but they make you (laughs) swear that you're going to tell the truth, tell the whole truth, tell nothing but the truth. And, and so they, they ask you to do this, but the understanding is, is that even a really good witness makes mistakes. A really good witness sometimes will forget details, or a really good witness will, will embellish details a little bit. Um, and that's normally, what we when we think of a witness, that's normally what we come to. But Jesus Christ is different. He is literally the faithful and true witness. In other words, there is no embellishment. There is no forgetting of details. There is no sugarcoating. What he says is 100% true, 100% accurate, 100% complete. And he's identifying himself as that. And then he uses the term that he's the beginning of the creation of God. And some people misinterpret this and, and, and use this to say, well, Jesus Christ was created by God. But that's not what it says. He's the beginning of the creation of God. What does that mean? That means that he is literally the one or the the uh, the person of God that is responsible for the creation. Um, in uh, Colossians 1.16, it says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. There is no shadow of doubt here. There is no everything but this kind of a thing, every single thing that was created was created by Jesus Christ. Um, and we need to understand that in the, the beginning, when it says, you know, the beginning of the Bible, it says in the beginning, God created the person of God. That's doing the creating at that point is Jesus Christ because all things were created by him. He is the beginning of creation of God. Don't let somebody tell you that that means that this is God, the father creating Jesus Christ. Cause that's not what it's talking about. Is literally meaning that he is of the three uh, uh, Godheads of, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity. That Jesus Christ is the one that's responsible for creation. Um, we see that throughout his ministry, whether it's here on the earth or or his heavenly ministry, that he is often the ones that is causing things to to be created and happen. Um, he fulfills the plan oftentimes that the father has come up with. but that's a, that's a whole different lesson. I don't want to run down that rabbit trail right now. Verse number 15. Does I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot? I would thou wert cold or hot. So he says he knows their works. He talks about them. And he says, you're not cold and you're not hot. In other words, they're lukewarm. And, and oftentimes this church is referred to as the lukewarm church um you know it's not cold it's not hot it's just somewhere in the middle um you know i I think of soup some soups are meant to be served cold some are meant to be served hot but nobody wants a room temperature soup it's just it it, the flavor isn't right in a lukewarm in a a room uh temperature soup it's just not palatable Uh, so what does it mean to be a lukewarm church or a lukewarm person within a church and I think this is where the picture of this church is really magnified in our society today. Um, because a lukewarm a church um, is a church that's only half committed to Christ. They're, they're not completely cold to Christ. They're not on fire for Christ. They're kind of in the middle of the road for Christ. So what does that mean? It means they talk about Christ, but they don't live the power of Christ. Uh, they're somewhere in the middle. They, uh, they, they, they have the ritual. Uh, they have the ceremony. They have the programs, which I'm sure this church had but they're not truly relying upon the power of Christ. They're relying upon their own power. A lukewarm church or a tr- lukewarm church member is is only half committed to proclaiming the word of God or proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Um, there's a, they have the knowledge um, that it needs to be proclaimed. They know the command that they're supposed to go and they're supposed to tell, but they don't have the, um, they don't have the fulfillment of it. They don't actually do it because they're they're not truly committed to it. It's something they know, but it's not something that that they feel like they have a burden. Uh, the same thing with um, uh, with missions. Uh, they they know that missions is important. They know the command that the word of God is supposed to go to all the you know the every every creature of the earth, but they they don't have the the desire to do that. Uh, they don't have the desire to see it done. They don't have the desire to fund it where they have the head knowledge, and, and, and even, even to a certain extent, they got a little bit of the heart for it, but it never takes any type of movement. It never takes any type of motion because they're kind of caught in the middle. Um, a a um, lukewarm Christian is one that, that knows the difference between right and wrong, but doesn't really see the importance of doing it. Um, you know, They know they're not supposed to lie, but then they tell the little white lies because you know a little white lie doesn't hurt anything. Uh, They know they're not supposed to be putting things in their body that hurts it like alcohol and nicotine and all, but, but, you know, a little drink here or there, that's not going to hurt anything or, or a cigarette every now and then when I'm stressed, isn't going to hurt anything. You know, they, they know that they're not supposed to be hanging out with people that, um, that tell off color jokes. And, but you know, what's it going to hurt if they, if they, they listen to a joke or repeat a joke. And, and so they, they have the knowledge, but they just don't have the, the, the desire to actually live it. Um, they don't have the willingness to to make a sacrifice in their life for Jesus Christ. Um, going to church becomes a uh, checking off a box instead of a um, you know a, a, instead of a a, a desire or, or a need for them it just becomes something they do if nothing else is in the way. Uh, you know if it's if it's not raining they go to the beach. if it is raining well they can't go to church because it's raining and so they they always have that excuse they always have that reason for for not going they they don't they don't support the church whether it's through uh, a service they don't service the church they don't they don't give any type of uh, a ministry or work to the church they don't financially support the church they, with tithes and offerings they they you know even when they show up they're only halfway committed to it um they worry more during the service about staying awake and staying you know instead making it look like they're alert and listening than actually uh involving themselves in the service A lukewarm Christian is the type that that comes to church looking to be fed as opposed to looking to make a sacrifice to God. And we could go on and on and on with this list. And the more we go, I think we start to see, um, we see ourselves in some of those things, I would imagine. uh, And we see the church as a whole in our day and age. There are some, by the way, and I haven't talked much about this. There are some, and I, I don't necessarily prescribe to this theory but there are some out there that theorize that the seven churches aren't technically churches or, or but they're more eight like ages of church development and church growth. So, um, and I think that breaks down pretty quick, but you can see if, if these were different church ages that we are definitely living in this Laodicean type of an age, because we see this type of church, I think more often in our communities today than any of the other six churches. Um, Ephesus might be close but I think this is probably the one that we would see the very very most of all of these And notice what Jesus says there at the end he you know he says you know basically says I wish you were hotter you were cold you know I wish you were one of those and you'd think that you would think that his statement would be I wish you were hot but he says I, I wish you were hot or cold In other words he would rather the church be cold than to be lukewarm and that's surprising for some people, but when you really think about it, if you're if you're cold as a church, it's easy to see the problem. If you're cold as a Christian, it's easy to see that you you have a need. But if you if things are kind of okay, and they're not cold enough to where where they're noticeable, you you're it's easier to ignore the fact that there's a problem there. So he's saying, you know, I wish you were cold, as opposed to being lukewarm. Because at least if you're cold, you know it would be easier to to for you to see your need for repentance. I used to teach in the, in the jails, and, and I enjoyed that ministry because when you get there and you talk to those guys, um, you know I stand up at the church and if I tell the people at the church, you know, how's your life going? Most of them would say, well, it's going pretty good. When in reality, they're like this church at Laodicea; it's not going well. They just have deluded themselves to thinking it's going well. But you go to the jail. And you're standing in front of 50 inmates and they're all sitting there side by side, dressed in orange jumpsuits. And you say, Hey, how's your life going? Some will tell you, well, it's not really going the way I expected it to go. It's not going the way I planned. And I'll tell them, I say, you know, you you've led a life doing what you want to do. And that's what most church members do. That's what Laodiceans are doing. They, they live life by their standards. And as long as it stays lukewarm, it's hard to see the need for repentance. It's hard to see the need for, for getting hot. But when, when things turn cold, like these guys that were in jail, it becomes very, very easy to see, hey, what I'm doing is not working. I have to do something different. That's why he gives that, I where wish, I wish you were either hot or cold. Obviously, if, I'm sure given the even his brothers, if, if you asked him, would we rather be a hot church or a cold church? I'm sure he would say hot. But But either one of those is preferable. Um, to being lukewarm. Verse number 16. I'm going to read 16 and 17 and break those I'm down. I spew thee out of my mouth. It says, um, uh, 16 and 17 says, So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So he gives a, a, a kind of a, a, a stern um, rebuke here. That basically, since he's, they're, they're lukewarm, they're neither cold nor hot, he's going to spew them out of his mouth. That's very, very graphic language there. Um, it, you, you, whether you interpret that as spitting them out or, or vomiting them out, either way, it's a very graphic statement to make. Here he's telling them, I will spew you out of my mouth. In other words, they're not even part of his body anymore. They, they're they not part of the body of Christ anymore. They're being, they're useless to him. It's, you've taken something in, if you've ever gotten sick and, and, you know, and taking something into your mouth. Um, our granddaughter was here, a little granddaughter was here and she was wanting a mint. Um, and we had some of the mints there. And I tried to tell her, you're not going to like that mint. And, but she knew better. And so she says, well, let me have it. And so I, I gave her one of the mints and she touched it to her tongue. It didn't even make it in her mouth. She touched it in her tongue and she's like, I don't, I don't like, and she, she put it back down real quick. And, and when we take something, we put something in our mouth that is, is detestable to us. It, it very quickly wants to come back out of our mouth. Sometimes it's an involuntary reflex that we want to spew something out of our mouth. And that's the picture here. That, that he's spewing us out. We we literally this church, this Laodicean church, is lukewarm church. And us, when we become lukewarm, lukewarm Christians, we literally become something that that is detestable. That is is uh, something that he can't be part of. That that he spews out of his out of his mouth. This the city, like we talked about before, was a wealthy city. It was a prosperous city. Um, they they um, had what they needed. They they had money. They had prosperity, and because of that you know they, it says that um, they, they would say in verse number seventeen, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked he says not only is he to spew us out but he, he's he the reason he's spewing them out is because they're, they're making a false profession here they're saying you know we're doing good we have need of nothing um, You know, our city's good, we have money. And they were confusing prosperity with spirituality. And we have a lot of churches that preach a prosperity type gospel today. And and even in churches that don't preach a prosperity gospel, there's a lot of Christians that that believe a prosperity gospel. In other words, if if I'm doing what God says I'm supposed to be doing, then all my bills are going to be paid. Everything's going to be taken care of. I'm going to have a brand new car. And, and that's not the way it goes. Sometimes it does. Sometimes God blesses. We see cases in the Old Testament where God made made men wealthy and powerful and, and praise God. But then we see Job, who went through a period of his life where he lost everything. God restored him, but he didn't lose it because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. And so we can't equate prosperity with spirituality. God says that he'll provide our need, but we sometimes we look beyond the need and think if we're not getting the extras, and we get seduced by the extras of the world, and if we're not getting those extras, that, that somehow we're doing something wrong with God. Or if we are getting those extras, then we just assume that we're right with God. And the two don't go hand in hand. The two don't correlate. We see lots of people, lots of atheists that are very prosperous, and we see a lot of, a lot of Christians that are prosperous. And the, so you can't say that the Christian that's prosperous and the atheist prosperous, they're both spiritually equal because they're both prospering the same. The two don't go hand in hand. God has a plan. And sometimes prosperity is part of that plan. And sometimes just meeting our needs is part of that plan. Um, some of the greatest prayer warriors I've need i I've met are people that are, that are living on a fixed income uh, that are barely getting by month to month. But yet there's some of the greatest prayer warriors that, that we have out there. Some of our seniors and some of our widows are are amazing prayer warriors, and they're not by, at least by the world standards, they're not prosperous. I mean, by yeah, by the world's standards, they're not prosperous, but by God's standards, they are prosperous. Let's break down some of those words he used. He used that word wretched. It literally could be translated the wretched one. It means to be afflicted spiritually, to be spiritually contemptible, and uh, or, or spiritually inferior. In other words, you consider yourself to be a spiritual giant, but in fact, you're you're inferior uh, in God's eyes. They, they were spiritually lacking, um, and it, to the point that He called them wretched. He called them miserable. Um, that word means despicable. The believers felt uh, self-sufficient um, and were carrying on the works of the church, but they were doing so in their power um i've talked about this a lot in the united states god has blessed us so much that it becomes difficult for us to pray for our daily bread the way we're instructed to because we open up our refrigerators and it's full and we start getting the idea that that you know i filled up that refrigerator so i'm self-sufficient and we forget to see that everything that's placed in our hands was placed there by god not by us god gives us the ability to work he gives us the ability to be prosperous he gives us these abilities but that doesn't come from us. That comes from him. And, and it's, but it's easy. And I'm, you know, I know because I do this myself sometimes that I I forget the blessings of God because he's blessed us so much. We become like spoiled children and we just begin to demand things. We just begin to expect things. Um, It's one of the reasons why I love going in the mission field and being able to see that, you know, how blessed we are in the United States when you start seeing people that live in, in, in houses that have dirt floors. Uh, they live in houses that, when the it rains, it drips in through the ceiling, and 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 not to point a finger and say, "Look, I'm better than that person," but to say, "You know, look how much God has blessed me. You know, look how much I have to be grateful for." Because a lot of times, you know, we 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 struggle on Wednesday night to come up with blessings when all we got to do is is close our eyes and point in a direction, and we got a blessing from God. Um, so I, I encourage people, if you guys have never been on a mission trip, if you're listening to this, you've never been on a mission trip, I encourage you, um, hopefully everything with COVID will settle down and we can take a, a mission trip, probably to Central America, uh, do an easy one to start back off in, in next year. And if we can do that, I encourage you to go do that. Um, just to see, um, how blessed you are in comparison to what the rest of the world is. Uh, it says they were poor. Now this is this probably shook them up because they're wealthy. They're in a wealthy city. They're not they're not hurting for money. They're not hurting for for things of that nature and and, and Jesus says you're poor. Um they felt rich. They felt like they didn't need anything, but in fact they were spiritually poor. Then he told them they were blind. Now remember one of the, one of the main industries of of Laodicea was the fact that it was the, the salve that they made for people's eyes. So they knew the, and you know they, they probably figure well we have the best eyesight of anybody because we 've got the doctors here we 've got the medicines here, they deal with the eyes and and he was trying to tell them they you know they could only see what the world saw they can only see the money, they can only see the the human ability, they could only see the human effort they didn't look beyond that to the spiritual needs they didn 't look beyond that to their spiritual needs and the need of the of the human soul or the uh, um, or, or the the possibility of even having supernatural or spiritual powers um, beyond what, what they were experiencing. They just, they thought they had everything and, and you know, why would they need anything more? And he called them naked. They failed to see their, their need for righteousness. They failed to see their need for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, again, this is a, a city that made their, their money. And many of them probably worked in the textile business and made clothing. And yet he's saying, you know, you've got all these nice clothes, but yet you're actually naked. Um, they felt their religious works and their, and their gifts to the church would, would help secure them and secure God's approval, but um, they didn't think for their need, their true need of the righteousness of Jesus Christ uh, to be clothed in his righteousness uh, and not the rags of, of this world. So keep moving on. I'm, I'm taking a little bit too long on this tonight. And I don't want to run out of time. Verse number 18. i we'll Go ahead and hit 18. We'll go ahead and read the next three verses. He says, I counsel thee to buy... A, me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and to the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. So we see the, the council here. Um, by the way, this is one of the few churches where, where he doesn't give any compliments. Um, he tells them, you know, that, that there's a, um, he has a lot of complaints, and he has counsel, but he doesn't have a lot of compliments. What's the, 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 uh, the council? Basically, it's repent. They need to repent. He tells them they need to repent. He tells them they need to buy spiritual gold that is purified in fire. Remember, this is a, a wealthy city. They understood gold, they understood banking, they understood the manufacturing, they understood all these things. What they need, though, is they need spiritual gold. What is spiritual gold? That's spiritual wealth. That's what's talked about in Matthew 6, 20, where he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. He's talking about those types of things, uh, true riches, not the not the riches of this earth, that are, you know, the moths eat and the rust corrupts, and he's talking about the true riches, those that we set up in heaven. He says they need to buy white clothing, or they not, yeah, they need to buy white clothing. This is, again, a clothing center. They, they know about clothing here, but he's telling them that, that Christ is telling them that no matter how much clothing they manufacture, they lack real clothing. They need the spiritual clothing, there's only one way that a person is ever acceptable to God, and that is when we are clothed in Jesus's righteousness and His white robes. And He's telling them they need this; they need to repent and get this gold, and need to repent and get this white clothing, um, and they need to buy ISAP. Again, He's using language that they can, they understand directly because of the businesses that go on in that city. And he's telling them they're blind; um, they're well known for their medical schools and their and they're treating of eyes with this eye salve. But no matter how much they treat their eyes, they're, they're still blind and they're still in the dark. Why? Because they don't spiritually see the light of Jesus Christ. So he's telling them they need to apply that to their eyes. Um, they need to do these things. Christ counsels them to be zealous and to repent. Um, you know, note what he says, he, he, he loves them. Uh, they're lukewarm and indifferent to him, which means they don't truly show love to him. Uh, they're only half committed to him. They only have, you know, a uh, half of a, a desire to follow him, but, but he loves them. And the word that he uses here for love is that, that philo or philo love, which is a, a dear love, a tender love. It's kind of a fatherly love. It's a, it's a very deep, it's not just a, a casual type of love. It's a very deep love that, that he loves these people. And he doesn't want to see them punished. He doesn't want to see them hurt. He wants to see them repent. Um, he uses Christ loves them and wants them uh, to to see what they're doing wrong and and correct their behavior and change their lives. Uh, many counsels them to open the door of their heart and let him in. This is a, a verse that's very often used for something uh, for salvation. It's a verse that's used to, as a a verse talking about Jesus Christ is knocking at the the heart of of, uh, of the unbeliever. But if you look at the picture here in context, that's not what's happening. He's not knocking at the heart of the unbeliever. He's knocking at the door of the church that he's been excluded from. They've become so lukewarm. They're doing everything. They're doing all the ministries. They're doing everything. And they've kind of pushed him outside. And he's not even in there with them. And so he's knocking on the door, and, and he wants to come in. Uh, of, you know, figuratively, spiritually, he wants to come into them. Individually, he wants to come in them. You know, Look at the picture here. We have, we have Christ standing by the door. Um, standing by the door, it symbolizes his readiness, his ever readiness to enter the life of either the, the, the non repentant church member or the, the, the non repentant sinner. He's there waiting, he, it's not something we have to wait for a special time or only a certain time of the year. He desires it and he's standing there waiting. He and he's not just standing, but what is he doing? He's taking action, he's knocking, he's motivating, he's trying to get somebody to open up the door and whether we say this is the door of their heart or the door of the church or, or the, you know, the, the, whichever one we say it it symbolizes the fact that that Jesus Christ is taking action, that he is seeking reconciliation. He is seeking to have that, that closeness with them. And then he, we see him pleading. You know, think about this, this is God. And God isn't just saying, you know, when you guys are ready, I'm over here. He's there standing. He's knocking, he's pleading. He wants to be let in. Uh, he's begging for people to open up the door, begging for people to open up their hearts. And then we see that, that penetrating Christ that when the door is open, what's he going to do? Stand there? No, he's going to come in. He's going to penetrate in their hearts. He's going to penetrate in their lives. He, he, he will, will cause the most radical changes in their lives that they can ever imagine if they will just allow him. But notice what he's not doing. He's not forcing his way. He's not a burglar. He's not coming in to rob them or hurt them. he's not kicking in the door, but he is eagerly wanting almost begging to come in with them um and then you know to to sup with them to be a companion with them um and, and penetrate their heart and and we see that you know he doesn't just come in and make the change, but he comes in he makes the change, and he stays uh verse number twenty one it says when we have that that overcomer again it says to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So we see, again, that overcomer promise. This one, The promise this time is the person who overcomes this lukewarmness, this person who relies, instead of relying upon his own power, relies upon the power of Jesus Christ, accepts Christ as their Savior, and follows them, will be given a... Um, um uh, the, the, as they repent and turn their life over to Christ will be given a throne to sit upon he'll sit upon the throne of Christ and of God and you know literally what this means is that 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 we're going to be rulers with Christ we're going to be kings and uh with Christ um you know there's a we'll talk more about the the order that'll take place after the new world uh and the new Jerusalem but the the picture is is that that there's some type of a hierarchy there where of course Jesus Christ is over everything but underneath Jesus Christ, you know, it's going to be set up, I believe, similar to the, to the government that, that he set up or the organization he set up with Moses, where there'll be some over tens and some over hundreds and things of that nature. And I believe that, that you know, if we, as we overcome and as we follow him, that our reward will be greater based upon, and our placement in that hierarchy will be greater based upon um, our commitment here on this earth. And then he closes out again with With that that he said before, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So this wasn't just for the pastor. This wasn't just you know that messenger for him to keep it to himself. He was to act as the messenger and take it to this church at Laodicea to warn them. But then it was supposed to go beyond that. He had John write it down, not just for that church, but for us today, because these things are a very vital warning for us today. It's something that we can't ignore. It's something that we can't allow. Um. Uh, Not to go unheeded, because what will happen is it'll infiltrate our church and other churches, and it already has, um, and we'll begin to to become lukewarm individually. We'll become become lukewarm as a congregation, um, and we'll start doing everything only halfway for Christ.